You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All this month, the month of February, we are in a series uh, called Missiology, the study of missions, the study of uh, proclaiming the good news, the study of going into other countries, telling people that have never heard about Jesus. And so uh, any of you going on missions this summer with the mill, Germany, Peru, Egypt, India? Yeah, I am too. Sweet. Uh, yeah, so there's people like that in here. There's regular Sunday schoolers in here. And we're continuing uh, missiology for uh, this week and then next week. And then, by the way, n- next month is going to be the study of the Holy Spirit, His gifts, which is very applicable for the mission field. And so if you're going on missions, I, I think this month is somewhat required for you. But uh, next month would also be a very applicable month's topic, being it. Holy Spirit stuff, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see a lot of that when you go to foreign countries, especially third world countries. So, anyways, without further ado, this month, let's let this week, right now, let's let's welcome Evan Martin as he talks about missiology. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you guys for uh, waking up on a snowy uh, Sunday morning and coming. You guys are like. There's some team tables that look very lonely today. <laughs> um, so I'm sure there will be people that wander in, but uh, I, know that, I know that some of you guys in DLA need to head out early to um, help set up or do what you do. And so um, I, I found myself the last two weeks sprinting at the end to try to get through some stuff. So I thought, well, if, if some people miss the start of this, then uh, it's their loss. So... Um, join me and uh, let's pray before we start. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today as limited beings, as frail humans. And God, we cry out for more of your presence in our life. Jesus, we want all of you. Jesus, we want to live each and every day in love with you and in your presence. And so God, in this room, in this prayer chapel that, that houses so often worship and prayer and meetings and weddings and all of that such, God, we ask that today you would be the most honored guest, Jesus, that you would take a couple pages of, of dry and dull notes, but with your word and with your spirit, may they become living and active, God, penetrating our minds, our souls, and our spirit. So Jesus, we give you this time, and we just ask that it would be all about you, that we would walk away from here knowing a little bit more about you, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a quick review for the last two weeks. If you guys have been here, um, week number one in February, February 7th, we talked about Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, and that says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. We talked about the word through being a conductive word, and if you remember up here, uh, my friend Tyler helped me as we took a straw and a couple PVC pipes and then kind of a children's play tube that kids would crawl through, and, and uh, we sent Bible verses in the form of presence through those objects, reminding us that as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, 
he can gift us with everything that we need for life and godliness. And so it was, if you find yourself struggling, if you find yourself in a sin cycle, if you find yourself not really getting the Christian life, uh, then, then my, my um, initiative to you was to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, and that will give you access to everything that you need for life and godliness. And uh, it's his divine power that gives us that. We talked about how God chose to limit himself and his power. And that's a limitless being choosing to limit himself. And so we paid attention to that. And we just said, as our knowledge of him increases, we gain unlimited access to everything we need for life and godliness. Last week, we talked about four men um, that their names, Franklin McCain, Joseph McNeil, Azel Blair Jr., and David Richmond. And I told you the story about how those were the four college students in Greensboro, North Carolina, who decided to sit in on a Woolworths where uh, it was kind of a Walmart slash Denny's back at that time. And you could go up to the counter and get uh, a meal served. And uh, you could only do that if you were Caucasian. But if you were African-American at that time, you couldn't. And so these four African-American men decided to peacefully sit in. And that, their action as a form of witness is what we tied it into. <clears throat> their, their action produced the desegregation of, Woolworths, of Woolworths and then four years later brought about the Civil Rights Act. And if you remember that, their action, what I told you, was actually began as a thought by just a few uh, college students who were, who were female going to, a, going to an all-girls college and they sat up in their dorm rooms, as many of us have in college, and dreamed and said, man, what could we do to change this world? And those, those girls came up with that idea, and then those four men walked it out and changed the world as we know it. Um, and so that was just a point of, you can, you can witness by being yourself, by being bold, by being strong and courageous, come up with an idea and then act upon it. Uh, we talked about how Christians witness, and we, we listed out um, tracks and uh, the guy who's behind the field goal at a professional football game who holds up John 3.16 sign. Um, we talked about the four types of being a witness, an intellectual, uh, a talker, a friendly person, and a direct witness. And hopefully you guys kind of f- found your way into, into one of those four. And then we went through the Romans Road. And I can get you those verses if you need it. But um, my idea for that is, is that all you guys going on missions um, should probably have the Romans Road on a 3x5 card or something that you could have in your pocket so that when you get into those opportunities where maybe it's just through friendship evangelism, you're kicking the soccer ball or throwing the frisbee with somebody and they start asking you questions, hey, why are you in Germany? What's a, what's a group of Americans doing here in Berlin just coming to play in the park? Um, or you're in India and you might be going um, with, with an Indian pastor there to do some evangelism and some witnessing. And you'll have people that go with you that are trained in that, uh, that are fluent in that language, but it's always a great idea just to have a, a card in your pocket to pull out a verse. And you don't have to walk through. That's what I told you. The Romans Road, it's not anything that I was ever taught. Um, it's just something that has kind of been vague to me. But um, So I make up my own rules for it. And my own rules for it are that uh, they're just great verses. And so you guys could take it. And if one fits into a particular conversation, then just run with that one. You don't have to try to hit all eight verses. And uh, once you get to 
to the eighth one, that person is eternally saved. It's, it doesn't work um, that way. So just those are just great verses to start conversations or to um, make conversations intentional. So, all right. Um, that said, that should catch you guys up if you, if you hadn't been here either of those two weeks. What I want to do now is um, I'm going to kind of go through, we're going to jump around here a little bit. I'm going to talk about India here um, later on today. How many of you guys are going to India? <laughs> the quiet crowd. Today. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to eventually get to that. We're going to talk about some martyrs. Uh, I'm going to show you, I, I kind of have show and tell. I don't have a video. I don't have like a big analogy. I just have a couple of things that I, that I brought to class today, and, um, and I'm going to do some show and tell, so I think you guys will appreciate that. Okay, if you have your Bible, or uh, if you just want to look up on the screen, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We're going to read a couple of verses, nine verses. Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 25. This is a story of Paul and Silas being imprisoned in Philippi. And uh, what happens there, and it's a, it's a pretty neat thing, and then I'm going to tie that into uh, a story about being on a missions team and something that happened back at the mill in 2006. Um, and so I'm just going to share that. So uh, follow with me. It's nine verses, so just get the gist of the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So here they are. They've been thrown in prison for kind of not very good reasons, as, as happened to Paul a few times. Uh, crowds convince crowds. I'm starting to get a little bit of feedback up here. Um, crowds kind of convince crowds. And, then, and sometimes they'll be worshiping Paul. And then the very next chapter, they've thrown him in prison because somebody came and visited from a previous town that Paul was at and says, this guy's bad, he's, he's uh, inciting riots, all that stuff. And so then they take the guy who they were worshiping and they throw him in prison. So he's, he finds himself there unjustly thrown into prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At, at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. You read that and, and they're stuck in prison. It's like a dungeon. It's just just pitch black. It's not like they have beds and cable television and like work programs that, that people in prison have today. They're just stuck there. They don't know when they're going to have trial. They don't know what the outcome of that is going to be. It's not like they have a lawyer assigned to them. They have no idea if they're going to be stuck there for one night or uh, for a, a very long time. And so 
Paul and Silas, they choose to just worship God in that situation. That's a, that's a great response to that. And, and I think if we kind of tie ourselves into this story, the different things that we go through on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, and, and here they are, they're in a horrible situation. It's not their fault. And they, they're thinking, I would, I would be better used had I not been thrown in prison, right? And so they're praying, worshiping, and all of a sudden an earthquake comes. It's their way out, right? God has provided them a way out. Such a violent earthquake that their chains fell off of them. The doors flew open so much so that, that upon awaking, the, the jailer is like, there couldn't be a single prisoner left. It's not like the door kind of creaked open. It's not like, it's, it, it was more like, hey, everything is wide open, so of course these prisoners have left. And he's gonna, the jailers are going to kill himself because he would get killed anyways. If, if they found out that under his watch all the prisoners had escaped because he was sleeping during the earthquake, uh, then he would get killed anyway. And so um, he's just going to do that himself, at which time Paul cries out and tells him not to do that. And so the, the thought here is, wouldn't we think, if we're in that situation, that God has provided us a way out? This sending this violent earthquake, we're in prison, we're better used outside of prison, witnessing the people, uh, building the church, evangelizing the world, we're better used outside of that. And so here, here it is, God has provided us a way out. But instead, Paul and Silas chose to stay. And so what I want to wrap this into is this thought, is that sometimes I think we, we are really good at looking for a way out. We find ourselves walking a certain path, we're obeying the Lord, and all of a sudden we wake up and we're on the most awkward missions team ever created. <laughs> and we, we've been meeting with these people for a couple of weeks, and we just... Mm, don't jive with this, with this group, and you look at your friends who are on another team, and you're like, man, Parker really screwed this up because I should have been on that team, right? And so team meetings are like, they're, they're just grueling. It's like somebody just taking their fingernails on a chalkboard. You're like, I knew I shouldn't have showed up this week. And so maybe you skip one and then come to one and skip one and come to one. Well, and then maybe something happens where you're like, oh, well, maybe a friend is getting married just after the trip, and so, so there's an excuse to maybe not go on missions. And here we are in February, I think, and Sunday school people, you'll have to excuse me as I kind of dive into a missions point here, but you're at a point in February where it's like, you've you got to figure out if you're going to stay or if you're going to go. And so the 25% deadline has come and gone, and you have like 200 bucks in, and that was your dad's 200 bucks, and you're like, Dad, I'll, I'll pay you back, and he's like, don't worry about it. And so you have no idea where, where the money's going to come from, and you don't really like your team leader, and, and the team members um, maybe aren't as cute as what you wanted to get onto this other cute team, right? Right? <laughs> you guys laugh because it's true. Um, and so, so you... Right now, on a snowy Sunday, February day, you guys are trying to figure out, and maybe it's not you, maybe it's a couple of the people that didn't show up today because, because of the snow. And so, so they're thinking, well, you know, I, I didn't hit the deadline, or this came up or that came up. 
And then we're really, really good at taking kind of normal situations. And just like uh, Aaron Stern preached a couple, a couple of weeks ago about pulling out the God card. And it's like, well, you know, the money's not coming in. It must be God. Or this is happening, and so this is, this is my way out. And so I'm not really supposed to go. I, you know, when I was praying about it, you know, thinking back to it, I don't know that I'm really supposed to go to here. And so when I read this, I thought, man, there's been plenty of opportunity in my life of things that have happened that I thought, hey, maybe it's time to move on, or maybe it's time to, to change this or change that. But I think there's a certain level of grace that we Christians miss by millimeters. Because things happen and we think an earthquake, only God could cause an earthquake, and I'm in prison, and so let's, let's run. I, could just, I can just see Silas like getting up like, Paul, man, are your chains off? You know, like, let's go, let's get out of here. And Paul's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I think God's doing something right now. And it's at that moment that Paul catches a glimpse of this and, and he saves the jailer, saves, spares his life, gets him saved, and then goes to his house and get. I don't know how that works in the whole law of like releasing prisoners and having them over for dinner. And I can't, I can't imagine what the jailer's wife was thinking like in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, her house is in shambles anyways because of the earthquake and now they're inviting guests and the guests happen to be prisoners. So um, my, my wife would kill me. Um, so, but here they are and it changes eternity for this family. We don't know what happens with this, with this uh, potentially Roman family, but uh, Paul and Silas, by virtue of them staying, did something that that really touched eternity. I have part part one of show and tell. I have um, this this wooden uh, kind of a frame. It it's Ephesians six ten and eleven. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, the same verse is written in Mandarin up here, and then there's a, a little design. And I have this, and it sits on my bookshelf. And uh, it's one of those kind of crazy things that you get overseas that um, doesn't really make sense over here. Uh, obviously, there would be a story behind it. The funny thing about this is um, I, didn't, I didn't buy this. But following the 2006 trip to China, um, one, of, one of the team members uh, came up to me and he, and he brought this to me and had probably part four or part five of a conversation that we started about February of 06. And um, he brought this to me at the end of the trip because he came to my office. Joe and I were sharing an office in the tent at that time. And, and this guy really didn't like his team. He, he, he even said, he said, Evan, trust me. I know the type of people on this trip, on this team. And, and, uh, we're just, we're just not going to work well together. I think you need to put me on another team. And uh, it was just, there was something inside of me that kind of clicked, and I thought, I think this guy needs to suck it up a little bit. And so, um, and so he, he had enough guts, though, to come back to me, I think, two more times over the next few weeks and tell me about team meetings, and I would say, hey, how's it going? I would see him at the mill and kind of talk casually, but he, he set up two more appointments when he came into our office and uh, talked, and and he, he kind of was maybe one step away from begging, uh, Evan, 
please, like, can, can you just switch teams? And I'm thinking, man, it, to switch teams now, it'd be kind of awkward to join another team. Plus, like, what's the real excuse for leaving a team and all of that? And, <clears throat> and I, said, I said to him, I said, you know, maybe God wants to do something inside of you or inside of somebody on that team um, by putting you guys together. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that there's some special magic that, that we do to put these teams together. And I'm not saying that we're perfect when we do team selection every time. But I do, I, I do know that that whole process is bathed in prayer and we submit to the Lord in that. Well, he brought me that gift as a small token because he came back just loving his team. His team had some amazing interactions uh, they were in they were in Kunming, China, and and uh, it was just it was a really really good team. But he was able to grow in certain areas because of the people that were on his team, who his team leaders were, and all of that. And so I say that to you just to throw this section of verses to you because I know that this is the point in time where you can say, "Man, I'm about to I'm about to jump ship." You know, it's just. It's a little bit harder than expected with, with work and with school and uh, a relationship or whatever, you know, missions team meetings and coming to Sunday school every Sunday in February. It's, it's hard work. But I would say this. You never, ever know what could happen if you just stay. If you, if you count to 10 backwards, you just, you just stay and see what God does. Because... I think I think Joe and I and a, and a few other of you guys could could attest to the last couple of years at New Life had plenty of opportunity for us to kind of walk away and start over someplace else, right? But I wouldn't trade what I've learned over these last few years for for the world. It it's changed my life. It's changed how I've looked at things. I've been able to grow. Has it been tough? Yeah, it's been tough. Is being on a missions team going to be tough? Is sticking on to a mill leadership team? Maybe some of you guys are serving at, at, at the mill on Fridays and you're thinking, boy, this isn't, this isn't all fun and games. I actually have to stack chairs or I have to set up tables or I have to brew coffee. I've seen, I've seen the people that provide all you guys coffee here and carting it across from, I don't know if you guys know, the coffee comes from big church over there and has to get carted across here. I think today they used the, the trunk of a car to get it here. So uh, we appreciate you guys for doing that. Um, but, but kind of a, as, a short, as a short point here, uh, Paul and Silas learned something and were able to do something because they chose to stay when it looked like God had provided them a way out. So when you think God has provided you a way out, put a little bit more prayer into it, give it a little bit more time, and say, God, I'll stay here. I'll do this if this is what you're calling me to do. And I think that's when the, the miracles start to happen. So, okay, what keeps us from being a witness? I think, I think in today's world, it, it's very easy for us, again, to kind of make excuses, like, like bailing on a missions team or on a, or on a leadership team, something like that. It's, it's very easy for us to say, man, I'm busy or I have this or that. And so same with being a witness. We live in maybe the nonprofit capital of, of North America. Uh, we, we have so many Christian influences and organizations and churches in here in Colorado Springs. And so I think it's very easy for us to say, well, I don't really have to be a witness because of these things, and everybody has opportunity to know about Jesus. But let me give you three three reasons why uh, I think 
things that keep us from being a witness. Number one, I think, is the fear for the lack of knowledge. I don't want to get into a witnessing conversation with somebody, maybe at my, at my school or at my workplace. I don't want to start that conversation because I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And so, so I don't want to get myself, I don't want to initiate a conversation that I can't get myself out of. So um, that, that holds us back. And my, my point for that is if we can just move ourselves beyond that speed bump to say, you know what, I don't have to have... Uh, a degree in theology to to start to start a conversation with somebody that I work with or go to school with or somebody that I interact with. I don't have to know everything. And so one of the ways is to kind of keep it simple. And so some of you guys interact with uh, agnostics, atheists. Um, Tiger Woods got on TV this week, if you followed any of that, and claimed that he's going to go back to his roots, which was, is Buddhism. And so there, I guarantee you there will be a rise in interest to, to Buddhism. And so you guys are going to interact with some of those people. You don't, ha- you don't have to have read the Quran to, to witness to a Muslim. You don't have to do that. You don't have to fully understand um, what an atheist believes or does not believe and uh, what an agnostic is. You don't have to know all of those things. You just have to be willing to put yourself in, out in that place. And the Bible tells us that, that the Holy Spirit will give us words. But keep it simple. Think, think just about this, about an atheist, for instance. Put your own definitions onto those categories and then see how you can kind of interact with those people after that. So uh, here's a funny way to think about uh, uh, somebody who's an atheist. An atheist is someone who believes there is no God, but is really, really annoyed with him, if that makes sense. Okay, so an atheist, obviously, is somebody who, who, who doesn't believe in God. They, they don't think that there is a God. Um, and, but who is, it, who is it that's kind of always like up in the face of Christians in the media and in the world? It's it's atheists. It's people that believe. It's not like it's not like here in Colorado Springs or even in uh, North America that we have uh, these these people that are kind of crazy Hindu or Buddhists or uh, Jewish people that are that are raging against Christianity. Right? It's kind of people who say there is no God. I can do what I want to do. Well, if there is no God, why are you annoyed at him? You know, it's like it, uh, Joe and I were talking about unicorns earlier today. Uh, I, I don't, we, we do that randomly. Um, okay, I don't, I don't believe in unicorns, right? But it's not like I wake up on, on Monday mornings and I'm like, oh, unicorns, <laughs> right? So, so if you simplify the fact that you're talking to somebody and trying to move them along on the scale to, to, to witness to them about Jesus, you, you can't be intimidated by it because sometimes atheists really come across as we're the most brilliant people in the world. We, we know that there is no God because we can scientific, scientifically prove that or we can justify it this way or that way. And they have all this, like, this maze of information that they can take you on to. But if you just simplify the fact of, okay, you don't believe there's a God, but you're really annoyed with him. Tell me more about that, Right? Because, because honestly, none of us wake up and rage against unicorns. We just, we just don't. That would be silly, right? So if I don't believe in something, why would I get so annoyed at that thing or people who believe? If, 
if Parker, for instance, believes in unicorns, I'll let him believe in unicorns. <laughs> he does. I'm not... I, I'm, I might find myself trying to help him, um, but, but I'm not going to just like get on the news and just rage against Parker for believing in unicorns. I would just dismiss him. So you have, to, you have to get to that point of saying, witnessing is just a little bit more simple. We, we stand up on stage and it seems, it seems a little bit difficult because you could present different categories uh, on the different religions and and even Romans Road, like I said, there's eight verses. What order are they? Do they go chronologically or do I skip around? Forget all about that. Take one verse out of that thing and let it come alive inside of you. And then when you talk to somebody, simplify their their belief system. So agnostics, they they just kind of, uh, most of them are at a, at a level where they just say, I don't know. I just don't know. There may be a God. There may not be a God. I just have chosen not to believe that there is or, or have landed at this place or that place. And so simplify those systems. So, so one of the areas that keeps us from being a witness is, is our fear because of our lack of knowledge. So simplify those things. Um, number two, I think this is, I think this is huge. Uh, one of the things that keeps us from being a witness is we, we tend to have a wrong view of ourselves. This is, this is where the devil starts to lie to us. Um, I'll, I'll, explain it, I'll explain it to you this way. Uh, it, was, it was a couple of weeks ago um, that it, it was snowy like this, but it was, it was a, I think it was a Tuesday night. I had, a, I had had a long day. I had been here for like 12 hours, and, then, and it was like a cr- craziness. Anyways, I was walking across the parking lot, and uh, it was it was snowy, and I I almost got to my car, and then I totally wiped out. Just just if if any if you guys were there, you just would have laughed at me because it was just like like I was probably like horizontal at one point, and and I landed I landed on my hip and my side. Justin Mendel saw me walk in uh, right after that, and I was I was so mad. <laughs> I was just not uh, a good Christian witness at that time. I, I didn't cuss. I did not cuss, but um. But anyway, so I, I walked in. I had landed. I had landed on my arm, and uh, most of you guys aren't going to be able to see this, and this is going to help prove my point. Uh, I had landed on my arm, and I had a coat on and a shirt on, and I didn't think I didn't think anything happened. But when I got home, I had snow all over, so I came in here, brushed myself off, uh, packed up my computer, and, and got out of here. And then uh, when I got home, I was like, my arm is just is just hurting bad. And so I, I took off my coat and now there's just like a, a, a little bit of a scab here. Um, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Parker. Well, the, the, the thing about that is this. I've still used my arm for the last two weeks, right? I haven't, I haven't taken this, this blemish and thought, you know what, I, I, better, just, I better just not do anything you know, this, I better just put it in a sling and kind of, kind of sit on the couch for, for two weeks and not do anything, call in and be like, hey guys, I'm just not going to make it. And, um, sorry, Joe, I can't, I can't speak on Sunday because I kind of hurt my arm. Well, here's what happens. We go through the Christian life and we stumble and we fall. Get this, please. We stumble and we fall in a minor incident and the devil tells us, you're done. Can't use your arm. 
Can't do that. You can't be used by the Lord. You got a scab on your arm, right? And so, and so one of the things that keeps us from being a witness is we fell out in the parking lot and Satan says, man, you're a klutz, you're clumsy, you're an idiot, you can't, you can't do this. And he convinces us that because of a minor mark on ourselves that we can't be a witness, that we can't live for God, that we can't stand up here and, and share the good news of Jesus Christ, right? But... That's just because we have a wrong view of ourselves because something happens to us and, the, and, and Satan sends this an immense... It's like, it's like you, fall, you fall in the parking lot and all of a sudden Satan's beep, beep, beep backing up a, a dump truck full of guilt and just dumps guilt on you. Tells you how stupid you are. Tells you how injured you are. Tells you that you won't be able to use that arm for two weeks. And then, and then you get to that point and your arm's not sore anymore but you've got a nasty scab on it and you think, man, I'm, I'm going to be marked forever. You know, and so we got a bunch of us walking around here with completely able-bodied, but Satan's told us, "Well, you can't do it because of this, because you fell two weeks ago, two years ago, two months ago, whatever it was. You can't, you can't talk to somebody about relationships because of what you did in the past. You can't talk to somebody about this or that because of what you did in the past, right? Right? Is that true? Because that that that's." Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just for me. Maybe I'm speaking to myself, but, but I, I think that that's true. I think the things that hold us back are super minor things, right? That we got, we got Christians that are going to show up to church here at the 11 o'clock service, and they got a scab like this, and they've, and they've, they've got a cast wrapped around it, right? And they're not going to use their arm for a couple of months because they fell and slipped and kind of cut their arm, Right? But Jesus Christ has redeemed us. That's the power of forgiveness. I'm not trying to minimize any of, any, any of your sin, any of my sin. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to magnify the greatness of our God. Is that, is that Satan's a liar and he's a deceiver and he's going to try to hold us back. And some of us, some of us have never witnessed to people in our life because of something that happened 10 years ago, right? And maybe it wasn't even your fault, Maybe it was parents or a relative or something like that that holds you back because of you got a scar or you got a scab and you think, I can't, I can't be used by the Lord, right? That's a lie from the pit of hell. So one of the things that keeps us from being a witness is, is our lack of knowledge. The other is, is our wrong view of ourselves. And then uh, number three is that we're still dealing with our stuff. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, you guys, you guys watched the uh, the earthquake in Haiti and the and the ramifications of that. And and um, it, I've been following that pretty closely, especially when it when it first uh, started to happen. And and I'll just say this: we better not forget about Haiti after after all of the the news cameras go away and all that. We have we our generation. Uh, has that as a task for probably the rest of our lives, and so hopefully uh, we can get some of you guys down there in in good timing and and send teams down there eventually. But you know what st- stood out to me right after the earthquake, when the first news media got down there and they were trying to assess the situation, figure things out. What was interesting was there's always been aid workers down there, right? There's been relief workers, there's been uh, non-profit organizations down there, all of those things. One of the first 
images that I'll remember from Haiti is they went down there and there's a bunch of American relief workers that are now screaming and hollering and trying to get in line and, and jostle to get, to get into position to be one of the first people out, right? So these are people who have been trained, who are professional in, in taking care of people. Now, they're not necessarily going to go through collapsed buildings. They're not trained for that. But, but for taking care of people and for taking care of Haitians specifically, that's what they did for a living. And now, right after the disaster, they're heading out. And what I think is true about us, and, and before we go on missions, is this is that there is sometimes we go through something and we got to get over that ourselves in order to be a witness. See, because we replaced Americans with Americans, right? We took aid workers, brought them back to the U.S. and sent more aid workers down there. And so what we have to realize is that if we go overseas, Germany, India, uh, Egypt, or Peru we gotta, we got to have our stuff taken care of first before we go down there. Because what happened to those aid workers in Haiti was they went through something that shook them, literally. And, and because of that, they had to exit. And so I think, I think sometimes that we as, as Christians coming to church and, and involved in Sunday school and involved in missions, there's sometimes there's something that shook us there's something that happened in our life that really shook us. And we're in a place where we could minister, but we got to go home and, and get rest and get well and get taken care of. And so why do we put you guys on teams uh, all the way back in December and January? Why do we start this process uh, so early? It's because we know that everybody's in process. And so as as we join teams, then we walk together through that process. And so there are people. I want you guys to feel safe in your teams. I want you guys to feel comfortable talking to your team leaders about the things that you're going through. Because what we don't want is we don't want a lot of traumatized people going overseas just for the trip, right? We need people who have said, okay, I know that certain things have happened in my life, but I've moved past that. Does that make, does that make sense? Some of the things that keeps us from being a witness is that we're still dealing with our stuff. And so those aid workers had to come back from Haiti because they had to deal with what happened to them. They had to get debriefed from, from that. Some of them had lost friends and family members. And so they weren't in a position where they could uh, be of help. So, okay. Uh, let me talk about India really quick. Um, India... Uh, is going to be blazing hot. You guys, you guys are going to sweat your heads off. Um, so uh, we we will take care of you guys. You guys will be uh, well taken care of. Not that you guys will be sleeping in five star hotels, but um, you guys you guys won't be in danger. You guys will have people surrounding surrounding you who uh, know what's going on. And so that's kind of a precursor to what I'm going to tell you here. Um, um, sh- short history. Uh, how many of you guys know that uh, 
the Apostle Thomas, Doubting Thomas, as he's, as he's best known, went to India. Um, and, so, and so after the ascension um, and as the first century church was, was getting established, uh, some of the disciples spread out. A lot of the Christian church with persecution was spread out all around the world. And Thomas went to India and he started to spread the news of Jesus Christ uh, as the way, the truth, and the life. And so what, what, what I don't like is that he's known as Doubting Thomas just because uh, his friend died, was nailed to a cross, he saw, he saw them put him into a, a cave of a tomb, rolled a big stone in front of it, and then uh, had soldiers guard it. And then a couple of women and then some of his friends came up to him a few days later and said, hey, did you know that Jesus is alive? He's like, I saw those nails, man. I, I don't think anybody could have survived that. And, and uh, so he, just because he acted like all of us would have acted in that point, like, prove it. Like, okay, if he's alive, then, then let me see him. And, and, and then, even th- more so, let me put my fingers in the nail holes, right? And so I would have I done that. I'd have been like, you guys are crazy. So uh, he gets labeled as Doubting Thomas. But uh, tell, me, tell me one person who kind of doubts their faith but's willing to die for it, right? Dragged through the streets, beat, brutally beat, and then martyred in India. So you guys get to go to India not as the first Christian missionaries, I hope you guys understand that, um, but because people have laid down their lives for that. William Carey is known as the father of modern-day missions. Uh, he lived during the 1800s, and when he was alive, uh, the, the church, uh, capital C, had basically, had basically come to the determination that, uh, that the Great Commission was really only for the apostles. And so missions weren't happening. And William Carey wrote this whole book on it, and uh, he talked about why we, should use, why we should use means to go save the heathen, and, and he did this dissertation and, and uh, ended up being one of the founders of the uh, Baptist Missionary Society. And uh, he moved to India, lived a really, really rough life, um, but he he started to establish that, so that's that's kind of neat. That one of the first modern day missionaries uh, decided that he was going to go and live his life in India. There was a family that that moved to India, no doubt um, influenced by people like William Carey, uh, Doubting Thomas, and and other other missionaries. Um, and the, this family was, was the Staines family, S T A I N E S, Graham and Gladys Staines. And they went, they went to India, and they went with their family. They had, they had three kids, um, Esther, Philip, and Timothy. And they, they moved their life over there. They started working for a mission organization. They started doing great things. And, and um, the, the dad, Graham, would travel and go to these different villages and help with these church plants that he was uh, a part of and helping to establish, and he would go preach and and um, they they had this, if you can imagine, this station wagon. I grew up and I had a station wagon. I can remember it was kind of cool. You could sit backwards in it. But, uh, so they, they had a station wagon. I have no idea how they got it to India or if India makes station wagons or how it got there. But they, that's, that's what they took. And, and so Graham would go to these villages. And as, as his sons grew up, he had this really great uh, bond with his boys. And, and his boys kind of caught this fire and and as their dad would go and do work, they would go and play uh, with 
with the other Indians, and they reached out to lepers. They reached out to uh, some of the poorest of poor people. The the you guys will learn about the untouchables, a class that of people that in the in the caste system of India, where they rank people basically from the type of family that they're from. That there's a caste that is b- below the caste system. Get, that's where you derive the word outcast. And so um, and so these people were basically untouchables. They they were animals that were held in more high esteem than this level of people. And then on top of that, if you have leprosy, then you were just you were treated like a worm. You were told to just go out into the wilderness or into the forest and just die. And so nobody would help you, nobody would touch you, nobody, nobody even thought about it. And, and even, even sometimes good Christians in India just are so ingrained with this, uh, with this caste system that they, that they too would treat them like that. And so here are these, this uh, family from Australia. They come over and give their life uh, serving these people. Well, it was on one of those trips that Graham and Philip and Timothy took their station wagon out to uh, one of those villages, and they had ministered at a church, and they were they were uh, there, and they would always camp out in their station wagon, set out, set the seats down, and and they uh, Graham and his boys they would they would uh, do some worship, and then each of them would take time to to say a prayer before they would go to sleep, and and uh, it was it was that night they they had gone to bed at about uh, nine thirty after after all of that and they were woken up at twelve thirty a.m. by a band of Hindu radicals um, that had come into come into the village and their sole target was that station wagon and to eradicate the Australian Christian missionaries from uh, their region and. So they took they took three three pronged spears. They took clubs. They took rocks, and they just destroyed uh, this this uh, station wagon. And I'm getting a little bit of feedback. And they um, they jabbed those spears through the windows. They they broke it out. And the dad tried to huddle and protect his two boys. Uh, but they they beat them brutally, stabbed them multiple multiple times, and then somebody took uh, a bunch of hay and put it under the station wagon, lit it on fire. And what that band of radical Hindus had done was they had locked, they had like barred the doors of the other huts in this in this small village, and so people were trying to get out of their huts and they were trying to look out through whatever windows they had. And and uh, but by the time they really were able to to see anything some of them some of them never saw anything but the ones that did later reported that uh that they saw a bright light from heaven above that station wagon and that family went to india and gave their life because they believed in something bigger bigger than themselves and so some you guys that are going to india you guys you guys are joining in on an ancient parade of people who have given their lives for the gospel. That was in 1999. Um, just just six months ago, here's, here's a story from, if you guys are familiar with Voice of the Martyrs. On July 20th, Pastor Abraham was assaulted by Hindu extremists in Haven District, Karmataka, State, India. According to the Voice of the Martyrs contacts in India, during a worship service at Friends Mission Prayer Brand Church, uh, in a village, 20 members of a radical Hindu group assaulted pa- Pastor Abraham in the presence of his family and congregation. During the attack, the mob destroyed all the Christian literature in the church. Voice of the Martyrs contacts 
added that the mob later took Pastor Abraham to a police station to have him arrested. So they, so they beat him, and then the people who beat him are bringing him to a police station. Seems very backwards. Due to the intensity of the attack, Pastor Brown collapsed at the police station. He was taken to a local government hospital where he's undergoing treatment for trauma. Pastor Abraham has led his church for seven years. Christian believers living in this area are under constant fear of attack. This is the third attack in this area in the past two months. The police are sympathetic to the cause of radical Hindus. So you guys who have chosen to go to India or were placed on those teams are joining into a very persecuted nation. You guys will be taken care of. I said that at the beginning. I don't want this to be something that you guys are fearful of that uh, because we won't put you guys in those situations. Um, But you have to go over there knowing that Christians in India don't wake up every day the same way that Christians in Colorado Springs do, right? We We have it easy. Life here as a Christian, piece of cake. Life there as a Christian, if you leave a a Muslim family or a Hindu family or a Buddhist family, you have nothing. They will disown you. They will separate themselves from you. Um, They, in order to become a Christian, they're making a very, very large shift in in their life and in what they do. And so um, I, I just wanted to kind of share that with you guys of, of what you guys are walking into. I want you guys to, I was talking to somebody who sent his daughter to Pakistan, uh, not, on a, not on a mill trip, um, but just with another organization or a college or something. I was just talking to the dad. And um, he said, she was getting ready to go to Pakistan. And he said, he was driving up with her or something to the airport. And, and he said, well, you know, tell me about what you've learned about Pakistan. She said, I haven't. I, I, we don't want to send ignorant missionaries over around the world. You know, we want to send people who really have a passion for that country and, and are pushing for, I understand the historical context to which I am going, that way back in the day, William Carey, the father of modern-day missions, went to India, that Thomas, the doubting apostle, believed so hard believed so hard in his heart that he was willing to die for the people of India. And, and then modern-day Graham and Gladys Staines, and then Pastor Abraham. Uh, there's... There's another there's another story of of people who got martyred and it's and it's um, more famous if that's the right term for it than than those that I just read to you guys and that's that's the story of Jim Elliot and and his friends Nate Saint Roger Yoderain Edward McCauley and Peter Fleming they they moved their families to Ecuador and you guys have probably seen Into the Spear and it's it. The story of Jim Elliot's one that's always really intrigued me. It's kind of the it's kind of probably the most famous missionary story that kind of gets circulated. Almost everybody's heard of it, um, and and so I've I've always kind of read about it, studied it. I've talked about it even from Sunday school before, and um, every time every time I I had studied it, I came across the fact that. Um, that there was an article written right after right after the event happened. For those of you guys who don't know, they they uh, were serving as missionaries in Ecuador, and and they were trying to reach this cannibalistic tribe, the Aka Indians. And and as they 
as they tried and tried, they were very they were very secluded, and they had to take the, the, this plane and kind of fly over different places, and they had graphed out uh, the the map and tried to x out where they weren't to narrow down where they were, and then um, and then they eventually found them. They decided that they could land their plane on this uh, sandbar of a river and and try to make contact with them. They established contact. They had friendly contact at first. Uh, and then for some reason, uh, the tribe turned on them and, and brutally killed all five of those men, uh, leaving, them, leaving them in the river and, and uh, left for, for uh, people to find them later when they had not made contact when they were supposed to. And so um, they knew that they were risking their lives, but they decided to anyways. And so there's certain passion involved in in people who decide, you know what, I'm going to leave it all behind. I was at a house last night, and it was a small gathering, and um, we, had, we had dinner and worship and prayer, and it was kind of a celebration of sending Jacob and Noel Goodland out to Cambodia. And they were, te- they were telling me that they have packed up all their stuff into six bags, they get six bags to take over to Cambodia, and they're moving their whole world over there. And I thought, man, you really got to believe it to do that, right? Once you have once you have kids and a house and and a car, it becomes very very difficult to go. I was talking to somebody at the end of last week who was trying to make a decision as to should I should I sign up for mill missions? Should I go? And I was like, have you gone on missions before? And he's like, no. I was like this conversation's over. You go get yourself an application. You sign up for missions, right? And so it's, it's that process. But in that conversation, I said, I said, when are you going to go? Are you going to wait until you're married and have kids and then, then you're going to go? Because if you don't grow up and become a missions pastor, <laughs> I have a great job, by the way. If you, if you don't grow up and become a missions pastor, it's kind of hard to take time off for a missions trip. And you guys, you guys know that. Some of you guys who have full-time jobs, you guys have graduated from school and you've moved on. You guys are taking your two-week vacation to go. And so you guys are sacrificing a lot. And so what I love about missionaries is they believe it, not just enough to wake them up on a Sunday morning to show up to church. They believe it enough to sacrifice everything that they have to go. And so we got to pray for Jacob and Noel and send them out and and be part of that ancient parade where you can you can imagine back in the day where you would at a coastal city you would walk down to the to the ship harbor and and you would put a friend or a family member onto a boat and you'd you'd hug and cry and kiss because you would know that the potential of of you seeing them ever again was slim that when david livingston was was going all the way around like through africa and and his journeys there, he, they wouldn't hear from David Livingston for time and time and time. And that's the famous quote, uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume, is when, uh, is when they found him in Africa and he was, he was uh, assumed that he had been killed. And so we live in a different day now. It's easy to go, and, and we'll talk about that. But in my, in my studies about Jim Elliott, I had always found a notation about this article that was written in Life magazine that was circulated around the U.S. that caused hundreds and now thousands, and I still think that we ride the crest of that wave of hearing a story about a martyr 
and then having that stir in, stir something in me and say, you know what? I can go. I, Jesus gave it all for me, and so I can give it all back, and I can go and walk out in his will. And so, so there were hundreds of students that were in Wheaton College that year who read this article and had prayer meetings and gatherings and said, you know what, let's do it. Let's do it. We're, we're not going to do it if we wake up 20 years from now and have, have kids and jobs and houses and cars and, and the American dream. We're not going to go, so we're going to go now. And so I've always seen notations of that. And so uh, part two of, of show and tell is... Um, is I finally found this. I've searched and searched and searched, and then when I found it, I was like, I am buying this. And so uh, this is a January 1956 um, edition of Life magazine, and this is, this is not Jim Elliott. This is Henry Ford II. Um, but, but up here it says, Missionaries, Jungle Martyrdom, Diaries and Exclusive Photos. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to have this up here um, at the end. It's it's old, so it's kind of falling apart. But this is uh, like a 10-page article, and I can't even flip to it now. But um, it'll, show you, it'll show you pictures of what happened here. It's just something that you can, you can come up here afterwards and just look at it. And I guarantee you this will, it'll, it'll stir your heart for what, what God has called people to in the nations. And so it's, it's a, I think this is an epic kind of piece of history and I'll just I'll just leave this here for you guys to do that. But um, let me read let me read a verse uh, while I close. This is Joel chapter two seventeen and eighteen. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, "Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations." Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. What, what this verse kind of speaks to me is that as we go to the nations, and for those of you guys who are, who are not going on mill missions, but you guys are in the... You guys are the cream of the crop. If you guys show up to Sunday school, you guys have something that has is stirring inside of you. God's given you an extra level of, of grace and an unction to say, you know what, there is something inside of me that I want, I want more of him. It's, you, guys are, you guys are different than the rest of the thousand people that show up on a Friday night. And so if you guys are here and you're not going on missions, take it as, you know what, my mission field is, is some of those people that I interact with at the mill. But those of you guys who are going on, on missions, think of it as to the people and the nation that you're going to. You guys could go on a two-week trip, and it'll be just that, a two-week trip that you, that you spent a lot of time preparing for. A lot of meetings, a lot of this, a lot of that. But if you take Joel chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. If you take that verse and you say, God, give me that sort of a heart for India. Give me that sort of a heart for Peru. Give me that sort of a heart for Egypt. Give me that sort of a heart for the people in Berlin. God, cause me to weep for those people like you weep for them. There's a simple element, and you guys will get to take part in ropes course if you're going on missions. 
And I created this game in ropes course, and it's kind of a just an interesting deal. But um, at this one point, the rules of the game are the only word that you can say is the nation to which you're going to. And and the team was it just happened to be India. And this team, I think it was an Oral Roberts University team that I was training, and and. Um, they were doing this, and they were trying to figure out this game, and they, there's some physical uh, activity that's happening. And so they're saying to each other, India, 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 as they're trying to position themselves into what they have to do to complete this task. And I'll never forget this for as long as I live. This, this shorter little girl all of a sudden got it. And she was she was being strained physically. I don't know if she was like in a push up position or something that they that they were trying to do. And and all of a sudden, instead of just saying India to to communicate to her team, all of a sudden it, she started to really cry out, India, India. And the presence of God fell in this little pocket of a forest that we were in, and. And these 10 people on this team all of a sudden started bawling because she got it and it was like a domino. Eventually they, they all got it and they realized this ropes course and training and being on a team has, nothing, has very, very little to do with what we're trying to do. But everything has a spiritual background to it. And so we, we, we paused that element and I knew at that point they had gotten it because she started to cry out for India like... She was the only one that could. And so I, I, plead, I plead with you today. As you go, as you go to the mill on Friday, cry out for the mill. Cry out for the people that you interact with. Cry out for the nation that you're going to. Get this. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we praise you. We thank you for today. Jesus, we just ask that you would give us more of your heart. God, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you would allow us to move past that point where we look for a way out, that we see an earthquake or a disruption in our everyday lives and think, oh good, I can take the pressure off and I can get out of this. God, Allow us to be those Christians who choose to stay, who see the work of your hand saving perhaps an entire family, touching eternity, God. So break our hearts for the people that we interact with here. Break our hearts for the people that we'll interact with when we go overseas. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.